All right. Any questions? From me? Yeah. No, I don't have any questions. Awesome. I thought that was your job. <laughs> well, it is, but, you know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 56 of A Hoops Journey. An absolute legend in the British Columbia basketball coaching world. A gentleman who I tried to get more info out of but wouldn't give it to me. (laughs) If you don't know the name or the face, then you need to do some more research about the history of basketball in our province. A guy who, when I was a young guy and played, had the opportunity to go to many open gyms. Even went to his... uh, lakefront cabin back in the day with a couple of former richmond colts and we are super thrilled and i know a bunch of our listeners have wanted this gentleman on for a long time we have no other than mr coach bill disbro on how are you sir i'm doing really well and thanks for doing this i think it's amazing uh what you do for basketball by with a broadcast like this or a podcast like this uh this game is the greatest game and I, i think the more that people hear about it hear about the history and stuff that's that's awesome so well done thanks yeah you know you took a jab at wanting to mute me a long time ago, but it is been able to tap into my ability to blabber a bit, but also have a lot of pride and love the game of basketball too. So it's been, it's just been a natural fit and appreciate those kind words. How have things been for you? You know, touch, texting with you a couple of days ago, talking about uh, quote unquote retiring at 53, but you're man- managing to keep yourself busy. And how have the last, you know, 14 months been for you personally? Well, of course I've really missed the basketball. That That's, that's the biggest thing, but my life has been affected far less than a lot of people. Some people, this has just been in a horrible time. I think of the the people that are living alone in an apartment, old older person like myself living in an apartment by themselves. And that I just can't imagine how awful that is. I, I'm fortunate I've got a great big apartment with a huge deck. I'm right over Sunset Beach and uh, mm-hmm. I, I go down, I, I go for an ocean swim every morning and uh, there's people that come down. There's a, there's a little community of people that come bring their dogs and they talk to me while I'm in the water and, and, they, and they've become friends. One has become my lawyer. Um, you know, and, and, I've, and I'm in love with the dogs. And, uh, and then I go for walks and stuff. I, I've got a, a friend that comes for dinner once a week and or we go out for dinner once a week. And so it's it hasn't been too bad. Mm-hmm. I also was uh, able during this time to uh, I was challenged that I, I've always been interested in the financial world. And, and I was t- talking to one of my players who's made a fortune in cryptocurrency and he said that I would have a great deal of difficulty with it because of my age. And he was he was right, but I did take that as a bit of a challenge. So that's all I needed for him to do that. And it, it became personal with me. <laughs> I spent a, a fair amount of time uh, trying to learn about that and um, having some success with making money. And today was a mm-hmm. good day, as I said, but uh, yeah, yeah. to you offline. But uh it's uh that's a then that's a real challenge but i think that's good for your brain because it's a whole different language man oh man when you first start reading about that stuff it's crazy i don't know what they're talking about but you you do learn yeah no and i think and you know you mentioned yourself as older but i think it's a good point as you do kind of move up in the years to keep the brain active and find different ways and, and good for you because i've looked at that stuff too and at 43 i'm just like forget about it so good on you and um you know it's funny how you find a way to to get competitive with something, you know, you missed the basketball, but let's get competitive because a former player says, I won't be able to figure this out. Yeah. Right? Still got the, still got the stubbornness, which is awesome. Yeah. Yep. Good reflection. And, oh man, I missed the, uh, 
you know, I miss going to Birch Bay and having the ocean swims. It's a, that's a luxury to have for you. So yeah, it's a little cold at this time of year, but still for sure. Just wait, this is me feeling sorry for you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get right into it. I mean, the resume speaks for itself and we'll talk about um, the championship years and stuff. But like we said, you know, talking offline was kind of the experiences that you were able to have and create for a lot of young men um, within your program. But talk about yourself as a young person in your life growing up and, um, you know, what high school years were like for you as well and how sport or sport was in your life. I was originally a, a football player. I played that for quite a while and I, and, I, and I really loved it. I thought it was the worst game in the world to practice, but the best to play. And, uh, and I enjoyed that. I grew early. So I was full grown in grade eight. So I was a big guy that got, became a smaller and smaller guy as time went on. But, um, and I was never a great basketball player. It was part of my, I, my friends all did it. I did it. I liked it. But I was, uh, I was a bit of an idiot when I was younger. A lot of people are, but I was pretty insecure. And I was more into throwing punches than I was into throwing baskets, basketballs around. And um, it's just really stupid stuff. But um, it, it became quite big in my neighborhood. There were some outdoor courts. And, and I, made, I made the team in grade 11. I didn't make it in grade 12. It was a new coach. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really worked at trying to be. I just liked the social part of being on the team. So I didn't put in the time. I'm not a model for how to be a basketball player at all. But I think that it really helped me to understand how some people who are not totally committed to the game feel about things and how I might encourage them to, to do more. I think that really helped me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's been a big part of my coaching. So I um, And I never intended to be a coach. I think that surprises people. I had zero interest in ever being a coach and didn't start yeah. it, didn't begin it with a, with any passion to that I had, saying that I had some great knowledge or some offense I wanted to teach or some great new way to play the game or something. I had nothing. I did it just because neighborhood kids needed somebody. That's all. the mm. only reason I did it. Did you start that before high school, like before you graduated or was it no, after No, I started school? it just a year after. Um, okay. You know, so um, we used to play at an outdoor court in my area. It was called Dixon's. It was a really good outdoor court at, at the Dixon family home. And um, we would go there, you know, every every nice day. And anyway, kids in the neighborhood, were. it was the tryouts at, at Burnaby Central where I had gone to school. So I went down to watch the tryouts. And I knew my kids that lived across the street from me and some just down the road from me were in grade 10. They hadn't had grade 10s in a long time there. And uh, so they, they were... They weren't sure there was going to be a grade 10 team when I watched the tryouts. And, the, and I asked the head coach, who, uh, and he was, he was a good coach, and they had a good program going there. I said something about the grade 10 team. He said, well, after talking about it, we've decided not to have one. The kids' the reality is none of them are very good. There was only 14 bo- or 28 boys in the school in grade 10, and, and they're not. And so we just don't see – we don't have anybody to coach, et cetera. And I said, well, what about the junior – they had, used to have what they called an intermediate team, a second team. Some of them make that. He said, no, we don't think so. We don't think any of these guys are ever going to be players. So I said, well, they just need somebody to stand around a gym. I, I'll, I'll do that. These are nice kids who like to play. I'll, I'll stand there. And I said, I've got a clue what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll go and so they can have a team. So we did. So mm-hmm. they said, okay. So I picked 14 boy, all 14 boys that tried out, I think. And mm-hmm. um, we ended up having a, a very good season. We tied for first place in our league. And um uh, it was, and I started to think I was a genius. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I, but what I was doing was working, and it's something that I kind of stuck with forever. And that was just trying to make them better basketball players. I tried to make them look like players without even really knowing why things worked at that time. 
because I hadn't been very good. But I knew that what they were doing didn't really, that didn't look like a jump shot or that didn't look like a crossover or whatever. So I'd try to figure out how, how do you make it look more like the you know real players do it. And, and we played a lot. And next thing you know, we were pretty good. And it was, and, and, I, and I learned from that. Interesting too. You know, you talked about yourself at a young age being stupid and throwing too many, you know, blows or whatever, but you're also seeing that a group of young men need, need a mentor and a coach and, so how does one separate those two? Was it, was it a temper for you or was it just that you were just a physical guy when you were young and then re- and still had the compassion and the want to coach? Did you mean did I have a temper and that's why I was throwing punches? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like said- what, how, how did you separate the two? Like, I mean, you, you sound like an aggressive young man, but also this yeah. compassionate heart to say, like, I mean, not many people at that age go, oh, well, these, these guys need a coach. I'll step in here, you know? Yeah, I don't really know. That's a good question. I, I never really analyzed it myself. Um, mm. They were just, we'd, you know, we were good friends because, as I say, they lived right across the street. And um, mm-hmm. I just thought, well, you know, it'd be fun to, for you to have a team. And I, you know, I, I just, I don't really remember. I don't know how that yeah. came about. I'm sure, I'm sure glad it did because it certainly yeah, changed sure. my life. But um, that's yeah. where it began. And then where does it go from there? I mean, and so I spent two years there and I think we finished in first place. The first year tied for first, and the second year was pretty much the same. And I started to think that I really loved what I, I knew that I loved what I was doing. But I also thought that I was pretty smart. And, you know, you know you're not. I was 20 years old or something, or 19 maybe. I don't know what I was. I thought I'd like to coach varsity. And all those kids that they said wouldn't make varsity, that would never, you know, they weren't interested in even having them on the second team. Uh, they went on to be ranked number one in BC, you know, and, and, it, was, and it was all five were starters from my team. So I've started mm-hmm. to think I was pretty smart. And um, we, we uh, so I wanted to be a, a varsity coach. It just wasn't going to be an opportunity at Burnaby Central, where basketball was huge. When I played there, we, our place was sold out in season tickets. And we took busloads of people to every game. The only place that it wasn't very, it, it, the most bush league of places was a place out in Richmond called Richmond High. Hmm. And they were in our league. I had seen an advertisement at, or a friend of mine had seen an advertisement at UBC saying that Richmond High was looking for a varsity coach. And I knew I was never going to get to do it at, at, at Central. So I thought, well, I can't go to Richmond High. My God, it's the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And I remembered when we had played there, we had the, all the games were at night, you know, but not at Richmond High. We had to play at 3.30. Okay, so that just was a little bit Bush League. We went there. There were three people in the stands, and they made fun of their – they were just their friends, and they just laughed at their own team and who we destroyed because they were terrible. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't anything like the basketball experience that I had had at, at Central with this tremendous following and excitement. Every game was huge. And, and so I really struggled with whether I wanted to go out there and coach, but I, t- I did talk to the athletic director, and he said, well, why don't you come and just run – one tryout night. We don't have anybody to begin the tryouts, and if you can just run that one tryout night, just see what see what you think. And mm-hmm. that was a very smart move on his part because once you do that, of course, you're you're locked in. And I, so I went in and tried it and discovered that I, you know, I did like the guys. I thought there was an opportunity. They had won one game the year before, and they had never in the history of the school made the playoffs. But they had won one game, and they were so excited about that one game. They told me because it was because they had beaten Steveston. Yeah. So they had smoked cigars in the change room, and <laughs> it, it was just. It, and they were really a great bunch of characters, and um, and most of them were back. And so, uh, so I took I, I took them on, and they were they were good athletes, really good guys. And um, again, I still didn't know very much, but what we what we did worked, and um, we ended up again tied for first place in the, in the Vancouver League. We were in the Vancouver League, which was a strong league then. Mm-hmm. 
we had our actually we had our we went from three people in the stands. We had our first sellout was the first season, mm. and it was a crazy place. They used to call it the Richmond High. What did they call it? The the zoo mm. because it was teachers didn't come, so the kids that come they were drunk and everything. It was crazy, but it was yeah. full. And it was it became yeah, yeah. that nutsy atmosphere that you got to experience when you're older. Absolutely. But it was much wilder back then. But it was the beginning. And the kids loved it. And, and I promoted the hell out of it. But I, mm-hmm. I just thought that, that you had to have people in the stands. You really, really had to do that to make the experience anything like what I had been around or what I was excited about. Mm-hmm. So we did manage to do that. We had we had several really close games at home that we won by like one or two points. And, and then the next thing you know, we sold out. We filled that place up and it never stopped. We were able to, through a lot of promotion, because I believe strongly in, in that, we kept that going for many, many, many years. But that makes it exciting for kids. And so the best athletes want to be part of what you're doing and stuff. The Steveston rivalry runs deep, hey? <laughs> oh, it was, I had never seen anything like it. You know, we didn't have anything like that at Burnaby Central. I mean, we had Burnaby South, but it was just, it was a big game. It was nothing huge. But when yeah. I first got to, to Richmond High, I, I went to, a, I was told there's a football game come up. And and so I went to the football game and uh, they had a parade, first of all, in the city, a parade <laughs> for the game. They, there was nowhere in Richmond to play it. So they played it at Queens Park Stadium. And that was, they brought, it was 5,000 people. Uh, and it was crazy again. It was there were fights. It was, it was just it was an incredible atmosphere. It was so big. And then the basketball wasn't that big, but it was. But it didn't take very long to get that big and get even bigger. Um, yeah. And so that yeah, there's never been a rivalry like that. I don't think in BC. Uh, mm-hmm. Saints VC is close, but it's not the same. Yeah, not the same is right. Yeah. So along this this time, what are you doing to learn as a coach? Is it trial and error? Are you reading books? No, um, yeah, know, I did everything. Th- the, yeah, yeah. Tell us more. I'm always intrigued because it's like a lot of the you know young coaches these days. It's like go on YouTube and find as many resources you know. So it's like for you that I think it's cool to hear how you all went about yes. gaining your knowledge about the game. It was certainly different then. I, I know that the YouTube is such a great, such a valuable resource now. It's amazing, and uh, and obviously we didn't have that. So I did go and watch a lot of basketball. I watched, um, what, one of the things I did early on was I'm one of the first people to buy a satellite dish. Ah. I bought one of those gigantic satellite dishes. And then, and I watched U.S. college basketball, which is still my favorite basketball. Yes. And I watched it all the time. And then one of the early years, I was always, I, I never had, I never had the view of basketball that most, I believe most coaches have, you know, about it's, it's, it's a lot about structure of things you're doing and and all buying into different things i i never really got that i wasn't very good at that i all i knew was good players win how what, what's different about good players how do you become a great player and i don't care what you do then you can be a great player we're gonna you know you're gonna do well and so one of the things i, I did was i that satellite dish i i took one of the first years i had it i took the three highest scoring players in the, in the nation in the u.s and i watched all of their games and then I had a little video machine, and I recorded them, and I watched. And I thought, "What are they doing? Why is it? Why are they successful, and other guys aren't?" And they weren't like seven foot guys; they were just dunking everything. These guys were all, hmm. uh, you know, it was it was guys like Maravich and stuff. And he was one of them and stuff. And so you watched to see what the heck was it that was different about it. What's what are the movements like? Why are they beating people when other people have equal physical ability or greater? Uh, why are they having success over and over and over again? And I learned what those things were. For me, 
mm-hmm. from my viewpoint anyway, what those things were. And, and I started to focus on those. And, and, and that, that belief in, in fundamentals has carried through right to today. In fact, it's stronger today than it ever was. Um, uh, and I understand them better today than I ever did. Um, I was also exposed to some great coaches. You know, over my life, I've been so fortunate to be exposed to great coaches. I had a great high school coach, Ken Winslade, who the court at LEC is named after. Get out of here. Brilliant man. He was only there my grade 11 year. But just an amazingly bright guy that gets the game and gets people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was really fortunate that way. Um, I got to meet John Wooden and spend s- significant time with him and, and, I, and also with Mike Krzyzewski. So those guys helped me a lot. And, uh, mm. and it just reinforced. I didn't really... Two, those last two might have a little impact on your... Well, <laughs> I, don't, I wondered if you'd heard of them, but it was, yeah. You know, the, <laughs> one of the neat things was uh, and the quality of people that they are. Um, so John Wooden, I had seen at a, at a clinic down in Seattle, coaching clinic. And, of course, I went to all those things, and I, tr- and I wrote a million things down every time, you know, all this, this stuff that I just dazzled me. And then I, I wasn't smart enough. It wasn't my mindset, these different things that they were teaching, which much, were much more, um, you know, uh, strategic and stuff. You know, that just wasn't who I was. And I would try and, and hardly ever work for me, yet my teams were winning. I hadn't figured out yet that my formula worked too. I, I was searching for the formula, yeah. but we were winning still. So eventually, it clicked in that that maybe some of that worked. But I, anyway, I saw John Wooden at, at his clinic in Seattle, and uh, after they speak, you get a chance to go up and talk to them individually. Well, there was probably thirty people standing around trying to talk to him. I don't think I ever said anything, but I just got to be stand close to John Wooden. I mean, here's the greatest man in the history of basketball. You know, it was just fun. I was in my twenties or whatever, and here he is standing there. So it was just exciting for me just to be near in his presence. Mm-hmm. And then um, I know it was about six months later. I think I went for a bike ride in Stanley Park, and I knew I had read that that John Wooden was in town to speak to a business conference, and and so. I wasn't excited about going to the business conference, but I thought somehow I knew where the conference, I guess I knew which hotel the conference was in. So I rode my bike there. I parked it in front and I went and walked into the hotel lobby. And while I just, maybe I'll just get to see John Wooden again. No intention of speaking to him. Just excited about celebrity, I guess, at that time. Mm. And he walked out of the, mm. the restaurant with his wife, Nan. And he came by me and I didn't say anything. And he said, hi, coach, how are you? And I just was stunned. How the hell does he know? And he remembered. I hadn't said anything to him. How many thousands Hmm. of coaches, or maybe hundreds anyway, does he meet every year? I was just stunned that he knew that. And then he said, uh, so we started to talk a little bit. And his wife said, come on, John, let's let's go. And he said, no, you go on up to the room. I'm going to stay and talk to coach for a while. So we sat down in the lobby of the Blue Horizon Hotel. I think it was the Blue Horizon. And sat there and talked for I don't know how long. I mean, I was mesmerized, so I didn't know how long. Holy crap. And, and, uh, and, and what he talked to me about, I was looking for, of course, the magical answer. Here I had. I had God talking to me, <laughs> and I was going to get the answers, you know, the, how the universe worked. <laughs> and and my, I remember feeling like he doesn't, he's being really, really nice to me, showing no disrespect. But he also n- knows that this guy is the equivalent of an elementary school coach. Because what he's telling me is so basic that it's, it's, it's elementary school, you know. And I, I didn't know until later that he was giving me all the secrets. They are just that fundamental. They are that basic. And they were then and they still are now. 
and there's no, there's no, it'll never change. But I didn't, I didn't quite get it. Again, I was looking for the magical thing, and I, it took me a while to figure out I was given the, I was given the answer, the keys to the universe. I was given those, but I didn't know it. That's an awesome. But I was still so highly respected. And he gave me, signed a book, gave me his book, and typical of me, I didn't keep. I don't know where uh, that stuff. I don't, I don't have any of that stuff. But that's an awesome story, and it's. I think you make such a great point about kind of it still is about all that stuff, the foundation plus. Just the the thing that I always liked that I read about Wooden too is he went out of his way to understand his guys too, right? Like he tried to understand his players and and create relationships and get to know them on a different level, which is powerful stuff. I mean, you know, we talk about YouTube and the amount of things that we see in the new terminology, but really it comes down to the simple stuff. And if you can accomplish those things and then have a group that believe in each other and their coach, you know, powerful things happen. So you make great points there. It's exactly right. It is exactly right. If you've got kids who believe that you are on their side, that everything you do is to help them get better, that you believe in them, amazing things will happen. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm just amazed at how many people haven't got that figured out, but it's, I mean, it helps us to win, I guess. But um, it's just, you know, yeah, no, that it is. It's, it's about communication. And I'm, I've, I just mm -hmm. read some notes that I made for myself about, about coaching. And it was, and one of those things is, and you got to know them off the court too. I have some interest. I also think that every single day, Every single day, and I don't make a, I don't write up a plan about here. I'm going to say this to Aaron. I'm going to say this to Johnny. I'm going to say this to Joe. Mm -hmm. But every day, I hope that every kid there thinks that I tried to make them better, them better, mm -hmm. not just to fit into my system better. I tried to make mm -hmm. them better. And when they are do show and they've shown that improvement, bloody well tell them. So many people just set the bar higher then, and they don't ever say. Wow, look what you just did. Mm -hmm. You know where you were a week ago? And look what happened just now. I stopped practice and tell guys that. I stopped the whole team and say, did you just see what Aaron just did? Mm -hmm. He had this old habit and he's just changed it and look what happens. And kids, they like that. And it's honest. It's no fake. I'm not, but I really am impressed. I really am dazzled. They know if you're faking. I'm not faking. Yeah. But I, so many people won't say it. You know, and they just set the bar higher. Okay, well, he did that right. But now what about this? Well, you know, I think a nice, some positive feedback is, is incredible, but it has to be real. No blowing smoke. It's got to be real, but there's a lot of opportunities for it to be real every day. Well said. Get that on a shirt. And I think it's cool too that like, um, I know, you know, Corbin played for me and is coaching our junior team now and necessarily didn't have, a, you know, an elite level basketball career as a player, but to hear a perspective of someone who, you know, didn't play the game a ton. And you mentioned grade 12, didn't make the team, but just had hunger and desire and wanted to learn and that ability to learn and grow good things will happen. And uh, I think that sometimes there's this perception out there that in order to be a good basketball coach, you have have to have played the game. And I, I've never really believed that. Obviously I played for Rich Chambers. So, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So I think it's great to hear kind of what your foundation is and it literally has nothing to do with your ability to play the game. You study the game and you learn it and, and you can have, kids learn under, under you as well. Absolutely. I mean, and, and again, it's going to be about communication. So you got to have that skill. You better get that one down, that you care that they're <laughs> understanding what you're, what you're saying and stuff, and you better be able to present what you're saying. And that takes time to get the confidence to do that. But this thing isn't, a, isn't, isn't super complicated. And if you're committed, mm -hmm. you know, great things will happen. And just, I think it's important though that, well, for me it is, I and mean, it's not for everybody. And I think, and I know it is for you because I've seen you coach. But it's got to be more, it's got to be about the kids. I mean, I, 
I watch people who rant and rave on the sideline all the time, yelling at kids about what they're doing wrong all the time. And I just wonder who they're really doing it for. Are they doing? Mm-hmm. I think maybe they're doing it for themselves a lot more than they're doing it for the kids. And I might be wrong. Some guys are. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I kind of don't like watching that very much. Yeah. And so I think if you're on their side, they'll know it, and you'll be amazed at how how well people do. I used to say I used to have a saying on my uh, in my classroom, and I, when I wrote up that it said, rather than try to prepare for the test, which I think is what coaches do. Coaches are either there's the there's the the continuum from transactional to transformational. Mm. You know that one? Absolutely. Okay. So transactional coaches are coaches that are X's and O's. They, they take the group of kids and the abilities that they've got and they say, this is the best way for me to deploy them strategically today. The transformational coach, which I'm much more towards that other end, says, oh, Johnny's got some pretty good quickness. He's got good awareness. I like the way he competes. I think if we work on these things, he can become a really good player. I don't even think about how he fits into a position. Mm. That doesn't even occur to me. So what I wrote on my blackboard, or not blackboard, on a, on a slide on a piece of paper in my room, was that you can try to prepare the kids for the test in the course. If you think you know the provincial exam, you can teach for that. Or you can teach the course and not give a damn what the exam is. Mm. And I think when coaches are saying, here's my perfect offense and here's my perfect approach defensively, they think they know what the exam is. Mm. They don't know what the exam is going to be. And they get screwed Mm -hmm. up. When somebody comes up and disrupts and their kids have only been forced to fit into that, be a cog in the machine, to fit into that, and they don't know what to do when somebody doubles at a certain time, and they didn't, they don't know how to deal with that. They don't know those kinds of things. It's the ability to react instantly in intelligent ways that is what's going to set your team apart. And if they're really trying to learn by rote, they're trying to memorize the game and, and learn that exa- for that exam they think is coming. There's some bad things going to happen, it. and it happens a lot. I think you just prepare them for the exam. I teach. I try to teach. I think there's only probably a dozen things that kids need to have to be able to do, and if they can mm-hmm. do those things, they can handle any situation that ever occurs, and they can do it yeah. right now, and they can do it because they believe in themselves, because they know it works, and you can't fluster them. That it doesn't mean my guys don't get flustered. They, they don't all learn as well as others, you know? And that's one of your major goals is every day coming into practice. Have you tried to figure out a better way to get to Aaron? Because you're noticing that he isn't picking it up as quickly. You can yell and scream, which probably isn't going to work. Or you can say, how do I word this differently? How, what examples could I use that would help that person to do it? When I would prepare practice plans, it takes me you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half to prepare a practice plan. But it's not just about what comes out, you know, what's, what am I actually going to teach? It's why would I have this happen before that? Maybe I should switch those around because I'm thinking about what the mindset is as I'm going along. Am I going to run, teach kids to, to make some great offensive move, but then the next thing I do is I work on defense, and then they go back and try to make that move, and it doesn't work. That's not very smart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to make sure that it's always positive about what they're learning. And the next thing feeds on it. So that right. it, you know, it, it sets a good uh, example, or they, they remember them, and they get have, they have that positive feeling about what you taught. But you have to think about that. And you have to think when what words am I going to use? What were you know? I can't I can't be saying things that hurt their confidence. There's certain ways that you that you word things that can can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be very careful about what you say. So I, I spend a lot of time. And I like it. I mean, practice is my time. I, I, games, I mean, I enjoy games. It's fun, especially when you're winning. But I much prefer practice. 
much, much prefer practice. And um, and that's where I'm effective. I'm not a great game coach by any means. I love how you know yourself. I try so to well. get better, but I'm not very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of people who would like to switch resumes, but uh, let's go back to kind of your time at Richmond and just sort of, you know, according to the, the numbers that we looked up, we had the big 75th anniversary book too, but, you know, you made 10 final games one five, right? So it's 75 and 84, second place. You finally get over the hump in 85. But you, you talked about those first years at Richmond and, you know, we have a sellout of a game. And when did you really start to think like, okay, Colts basketball is here and it's here to stay? Like, when did you know? Because um, that was always, and, and I think within that, it's going to be a long question, so bear with me. But uh, I always thought you had such a a different outlook like you almost had and I hate to just compare everything to America but you had that American idea in terms of you know like a goulet in terms of the Colts always had the nice gear they had the shoes right you brought in you know you brought in Hurley you made amazing road trips for these guys you started Team Excel which was something that didn't exist at all right if you didn't play Team BC there was really no other option for you back you know mm-hmm. well before me even so talk about not necessarily business side, but just that different perspective of the program as well and and why you felt that was a key to success. And then to end that, when did you know that Richmond basketball was here? Because um, you guys were there for a long time, and it's pretty phenomenal what you were able to accomplish. Well, I think I always thought, not, I shouldn't say always, but as we started to get decent, like our first uh, time to the BC final, I was pretty surprised, and I and I was kind of, it was surreal for me, during even during the game. I really... I was more thinking about what's it like being here. Oh man, I'm really here instead of actually doing what you had to do. You know, it was it was something. I was still only in my twenties, and here we were in the BC final when it was when it was huge. And I just I I, I was quite surprised. I don't know, surprised. I think I was, and but it did give me a feeling after that for what it took. And um, I can never imagine a reason why you would try to be anything but the world's best. Mm. So I really decided at some point that. Richmond High was going to have the best basketball program in the world. I had no interest in just winning a BCs. I, mean, I wanted to win those. I, obviously, that's part of the step. I love that tournament. I shouldn't. That was a f- weird way to say it, but <laughs> that wasn't what the real goal was. I just thought, if why would we take second best to anybody? Why? We can do all that stuff. So some of it happened with uniforms. I, you know, the, the most expensive basketball uniform ever made was for the Richmond Colts. The team, the, the the company that supplied NBA uniforms and, and all the NCAA uniforms, <laughs> he, he the guy, when I was talking to him, he says, you know, you've just designed the most expensive basketball uniform ever made. And I said, well, we've got, you know, let's go for it. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and stuff. But, but everybody tried to do all that. And then we went on trips. We wanted to go on great trips where we were going to get good basketball, but also have a lot of fun. We brought in DeMatt. You know, People that have tried to do similar things, I think, miss one thing that I think that I had figured out. There's the cult of personality. And so you have to, when we brought in DeMatha because it was Morgan Wooten's team, and he was considered, he was on the cover of Sport Magazine the year before as the best basketball coach in the world, at any level. We brought that team in. And DeMatha was famous because they had beaten uh, Lou Alcindor when he was in high school, the only team that ever did that. But it was it was a world-famous Nobody knew who was on that team. I guess maybe there was one player they knew. But it was the same thing when St. Anthony's came in. It was because of Bob Hurley. Yeah, I didn't really care who was on their team. I was bringing Bob Hurley because I knew that could sell out. I knew DeMatha could sell out. So you could bring in the number one team in the United States next year here. And I don't know if they'd draw well or not. They might. Probably not. They would do, mm-hmm. do okay. But could you put in what we did, what broke the record for people at UBC? 
and charged mm-hmm. way more than UBC did for the games, for the game <laughs> stuff. You know, we filled it. You know, that kind of thing. So you got to know if you're going to promote. So I, that was all part of the deal. It was always trying to do the very, the very biggest, best that could be done. Mm-hmm. And we raised a lot of money. I mean, we were, a, you know, we had a ton of money for a, for a high school team because we got to mm-hmm. keep our gate. Our gate was huge. Well, I mean, you guys were packed. Yeah. I remember going to that game, too, when you guys played it. It was at Cap, right? Yes. When you played yep. St. Anthony's, it was yeah. like unreal. I mean, it was you couldn't you couldn't fit a body in there. It was no. phenomenal, and it was because it was Bob Hurley. I mean, nobody knew anybody on that team, but I, I knew that, and then we became friends. Bob and I became invited me to go to Italy with him and his wife. That was another great experience. And Morgan Wooten mm-hmm. was something else because Morgan Wooten, I mean, that was the legendary program in all of high school sports. He was the first coach into the mm-hmm. the Naismith Hall of Fame and and then of course the second one was Bob Hurley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you d- it was fun to do those things and I also learned that we were just as good as those guys and nobody knew that. I didn't know that when we started. I certainly didn't yeah. know that when we played Damatha. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. found out we were just as good as them and you know got got the greatest compliment probably ever paid to us was from Morgan Wooten at the end of their season they ended up ranked number 2 in the nation. And um and he said the best team we played all year was a team from Canada. And that felt pretty good. So you started to realize that That's kids awesome. are kids everywhere. We could be, yeah. we could be great. Why couldn't we be great? If a kid in the, is in a gym in, in wherever in Macon, Georgia, why is he better than a kid in the gym at Richmond High? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. He isn't. If you, if you do the same, you have the same work ethic and you're learning things that make sense, why are they better? They're not. Mm-hmm. And so that took a while for us to figure out. It took a long time of challenging U.S. teams, um, getting our asses kicked early by small town teams and stuff, and then starting to win, and then they wouldn't play us anymore. So we stepped up a level, and they'd kick our butt, and then we started to win, and they wouldn't play us anymore. And we kept stepping up, and we eventually beat the number one team at the highest level in Washington State. We were number one in B.C., and they were number one in Washington State, and we beat them. And... Uh, that was stuff that was new. People here could never believe that that was really happening. We always have an inferiority complex as Canadians. And I think DeMatha was really, that was, many people say it was the greatest high school game ever seen here in BC. And I, I would agree. That was something else for us to, this team that for 28 years in a row, every kid on the team had received a college scholarship. Every kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and they had the number one player in the nation, Gerard Mustaf, who two years later was in the NBA. For us to to show that we were equal was just just shocking to people. And it was shocking to me too. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you've probably heard the story of how I found out that we were we could play them, but um, it was just uh, no tell. Well, it, it's a long story. I don't know if you want. To, I think it's a great story, but it's long. And I did, you know, if you want to hear it. You heard John McKeechee, right? You got nothing, <laughs> to, you got nothing yeah. to be afraid of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my team had won the uh, BC Championship as grade 11s. Ron Putsey, Joey DeWitt, Brian Tate, three of the greatest players in history, all on the same team. So they had won it. I, I'm trying to think of how we can challenge them next year. Just for the listeners, sorry to cut you off. We're not just talking cold history. We were talking like BC Provincial. history without, without doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I think there's no doubt that they were the greatest team in history. I mean, there's just no doubt. I, I can't even think it's arguable. But and whatever. I think they would still win it all today. Anyway, the, that, that group. So I, we had gone to New York and, and, and played, you know, as, as grade 11s, I took them to New York. We played in what was written up in Sports Illustrated as the toughest high school league in America. We played four games in that league. 
uh, against teams in that league, all the Catholic schools and uh, the famous ones, uh, Archbishop Carroll, I don't know where, I forget the names of all of them, but it was, it was a big thing. And so we played them and got a feeling for where we stood. And then the next year, so I thought, what am I going to do? I've got a team that's won it all. They're mostly back. How do I challenge them? How do I get them to be excited about the year? I, I, I mean, better be because I know what happens if you're not. Mm-hmm. And so it occurred to me one night, I, I woke up about four or five in the morning and I started thinking about it. I thought, you know what? What if I just could get DeMatha to come here? The most legendary program in all of high school sport. What if I could get them to come here? And so, and, and I thought to myself, this is scary because I have no idea if he, Brian, Joey, or Ron could even make that team. I don't even know what that, right. I don't know what that's even about. I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> Kids from all over the country come to go to DeMatha and it's, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. Anyway, I picked up the phone and uh, I called along the operator and I said, can you get me the number for DeMatha Catholic School in Hyattsville, Maryland? Yep. It rang and I, and I asked for the, I don't know, I asked if I could speak to Morgan Wooten. And the, and the lady, and this is a coach that's making 400000 a year as a high school coach yeah. 30 years ago. So like a million <laughs> something today. This is not your average guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing it through camps and speaking engagements, not, not being paid that to coach. But he's, he's, he's huge. He started the McDonald's All-America game. You know, he, he's, he's, he was a huge name. Anyway, so next thing you know, she just says, yep. And he comes on the phone. And I am, again, it's like talking to John Wooden. This is like, the most famous, second most famous coach in all of basketball and, um, and behind John Wooden. And so I, I, I started to babble on about what I'd like to do, that our team was really good. We've got a beautiful city, blah, 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 blah. We'd love to have you come. And I carried on and I didn't even let him speak. And all of a sudden he said, okay, what? Okay, we'll come. Oh, <laughs> okay. And, and it was just oh, an amazing. And, and all of a sudden I had to make it all happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, when I told people, they just could not believe it. it yeah. I mean, that, BC didn't do that. We didn't even play good teams out of Washington State. Nobody did. Mm-hmm. Or we had, but nobody else. And here we mm-hmm. are going to take on, they were ranked number two at the start of the season. They finished number two in the nation, in the States, and, and, and with their, their record in the past. And, um, and I, I think they had, I forget how many guys in the NBA, mm-hmm. but there's still multiple guys coaching the NBA. Some of them were Notre Dame's head coach. Is from DeMatha, assistant coaches from DeMatha, played against us. It's just all over college basketball, these guys. And so mm-hmm. now I have to I have to figure out how to make it pay because we've got to pay their way and everything. And yeah. work that out and we would get UBC. Yeah, we could get UBC and what we'd have to charge for tickets and all that. And I had another a friend who's one of the great people in basketball that nobody knows is Scott Porter, who does all the statistics for the BCs and stuff, a wonderful human being. And he uh, he got involved with helping me set this up and fund it and stuff. But I, I was a primary funder. But anyway, again, I don't know if we can compete. I'm watching, looking at their scores and who they're playing against and everything. Oh my God! So as it gets time, I go up to uh, I go down to pick them up at Seattle. Scott and I went down. We drove these mini buses down and we picked them up. But we were at the airport and I'm waiting for them to come out in Seattle. And I see these big guys come out, all dressed in top coats and with briefcases and stuff and they're all these black guys and it looks like a uh, a professional team from somewhere and i'm trying to see which team it is and then i read on the bag dematha stags i go oh my god that's a high school team we're gonna play this they have five guys over six eight all of them division one and it's oh my god and so anyway that that was my first impression I, and now i'm really 
thinking, what have you done? And so I rode up with, with Morgan and he came in my, my vehicle and we talked all the way up and it was good and, and everything. And so we had a, we made an agreement on the way up. I said, there's something that's a little bit unfair about this thing. I said, first of all, you're Damatha, you're pretty damn good. And we don't know what we are in terms of your quality, but you're going to get to see us play. We're playing Steveston on Wednesday night. And then I think it was Wednesday night. And then we're at, at UBC against you on Saturday or Friday. And I said, that's really not very, I've never seen you play. I, I said, I think it would be only be fair if you didn't come to the game. And he said, okay, I agree with that. And we'd also gotten him to say that he would do a, we wanted him to do a coaching clinic when he was there and hoped we could mm -hmm. make some money out of that. And he said, I'm not allowed to. I have a speaking contract with Internet IMG. I've got a right. contract with them. They don't allow me to do it. I, it, I have to charge you a minimum, minimum of $1,000 just to, speak and uh, we weren't going to do that so he said but what I can do I'll run a practice and coaches can watch practice I said great so we go to play against uh, Steveston and of course the place is full it's sell out and there's a banging on the door and it they, so finally they open the door they, to the outside and there's the Damatha team is all there and they're trying they want to come in so they do let them in there's no room but they let them in and mm -hmm. typical of Canadians as soon as people see who it is it's been all over the newspapers this you know you it, mission impossible you can turn down this mission Richmond High if you would want and all this stuff and they mm -hmm. you know could UBC or Simon Fraser even compete with this team was written up in this high school teams oh, it was just anyway it was a huge deal and so um, yeah. they come walking in and they get a standing ovation it's at their gym at Steveston and I'm thinking oh my god they're way more popular than we are even with our own fans <laughs> what the hell and so so they come in and then with them come their coaches now I'm not happy okay what's up with that yeah well Morgan didn't come but his assistants came with their video equipment so I thought <laughs> yeah great so that ticked me off. I don't even remember what happened in the game. I think we, I think we beat them, but I'm not sure. We, you know, back, yeah, we did because we went undefeated. So we, we beat them. But anyway, after the game, he and I were invited to go down to Sports Talk uh, show by Dan Russell. It used to be a big radio show every night. And uh, we were picked up in a limousine, he and I, and we went riding down. And I told him on the way down what I thought of him. I said, I didn't like that very much, which you did having this happen. And, and I said, now I said I wouldn't come to the uh, practice that you're going to have, but I am coming. I'll be there. So he said, okay. And, uh, and I should have, I should have mentioned the day before both their team and ours had practiced at UBC. Okay. So we both went side to side at UBC mm -hmm. and, uh, and I noticed my guys all watching them warm up and cause they were dunking everything. Yeah. And, um, and they, they were dazzling. And I, and I thought, you know what? This is what everybody else does when we practice. When we warm up, teams stop and watch us. Guys stare at your end. You know you've got them beat. Mm -hmm. And I, I watched that. So I was kind of bitter, nothing I could do about it. And I remember uh, after the practice, seeing uh, Gerard Mustafa, who was our number one guy, came walking by us. And the coach for Georgia Tech had flown all the way up to wave at him. Wasn't allowed to speak to him. Flew to Seattle from, from Atlanta. Came up, to, drove up to UBC waved at him and then went home and i thought oh my god imagine having that job but um anyway so he was a big star but um so uh so anyway that had happened so the next day after after our after our big win at, at steveston and I, we, we had the talk show and the talk show was just lit up it was the busiest night they'd ever had people phoning mm -hmm. in and stuff and how big this thing was so it was fun but i did tell him i'm going to go to practice so the next day was the practice 
and our guys are their guys are billeted with ours, so they go to the they're in there too at the practice. And as it begins, and there's quite a few coaches. There are 30, 40 coaches in watching, and um, so I said to our guys because I could see the way they were watching again. I said, "Get out of here! You get your jaws on the ground and everything." And these guys, so far, Demath had just warmed up, and again dunking everything. So I said, "Get out of here! You're not allowed to watch." Why not? I said, "Because you're intimidated, and I don't even know who you are. That's not who you are." But I'm watching it, and so get out of here. They, so they had to go and sit in the, in the lounge, in the school lounge, while the practice was on. And then I watched a lot, the practice for a while, and I thought, you know what? These are high school players. Mm. Those are not pros. Those are high school players. And so I went back out, and I said, you're allowed to come in and watch. I said, you can't say anything. Just keep quiet. You're allowed to watch. So I sat in right in front of them, and they were all behind me. And as it went on, I remember hearing, I think it was Brian Tate said, oh, you see what that guy did? Did you see what that guy did? They're not that good. They're not that good. And then it was, we're going to beat these guys. Mm. It completely changed their attitude because fundamentally we were better. Hmm. And they saw it. They saw the errors, the ones that they were no longer making. And they said, we can beat, we're going to beat these guys. And I was, I couldn't believe the change in attitude. And so when we went in there, our guys went in, and despite the fact that nobody else in BC thought so, our guys thought they were going to win that game, and um, and it went right down to the last minute, and uh, but and we almost did. Yeah. But at the beginning of the game, the crowd was it was probably ninety percent for Demathe, because just in awe, you know. Of course. And then very quickly, as we competed, I don't know, the end of the first quarter, maybe tied, halftime, really close, maybe tied. I don't remember. I don't keep score mm. sheets and stuff stupid. But, um, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the crowd, and then the crowd completely changed. Then it was just roaring yeah. for us, you know, yeah. to, to beat them. And it came down to the last two minutes. It was a six or eight point lead for them, six, I think. Mm-hmm. And I said uh, to my assistant coach, I said, uh, pretty neat, huh, what, where we are? He said, yeah. And I said, are you satisfied? He said, no. And I said, neither am I. So we called a timeout and we put on a, the only press we had that we pressed all the time. There's only one that was different. The problem with the press was it was called the Dematha Blitz Defense. Oh, no way. It was from a book that Morgan Wooten had written and I had, and we <laughs> used it. The Dematha Blitz Defense. It was the only, only pressing thing we had to maybe try to make up six points in two minutes or a minute. Yeah. And of course, we went to it. Of course, they practice against it every day. So the first time we do it, boom, 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 dunk. You know, you've got a 6'11 kid that's in the NBA two years later. He rams it down. Now, now what are you going to do? Not do it? You've got to trap again. We trap again, dunk. So they end up with three dunks to finish the game, and it ends up 10 points or whatever it ended up. But the game, well, that wasn't the way the game was. But that was the only thing we could go to. Anyway, that was my DeMatha story. And, and then to have him say that we were the best team they saw all year was pretty, pretty amazing. That's amazing, and 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 something that uh, from afar I admired, and I think you know even guys like Don and Rich saw, and like my experience when I was at Fox, we went down, we played, you know, we played, um, we played Rainier Beach, we played in Portland, we tried to go down south and and play against other competition, and yeah. like you say, a lot of people weren't doing that, and I remember, you know, even playing with Bristow and some of those guys, and you got you know Team Excel going, you had Sean Velasco playing for you, right? yeah. just giving giving some guys that maybe aren't quite provincial team level, but still have post second chances you know opportunity yeah. to continue to play and i think that was a model that just didn't exist and something that i thought was very cool taking the boys down to phoenix and and you know just 
exposing them to basketball at the highest level, right? And you were always willing yeah, to do absolutely. that. Yeah, and I think, you know, people associate, you know, the winning and, and whatever, the aura of Richmond ball, but there's more to it. When you ask um, the real players for you, and even the gentlemen that we've had on the show, they talk about coach always opened the gym. He was always the first one there. You know, he would pass for me. He would rebound. He would open the gym if it was, you know, if it was Pasha and Gil and they would shoot on their own. But if it was just me, he was always there for me. And I think um, a lot of people that don't know the behind the scenes don't realize that it wasn't just a, a talent thing for Richmond High basketball. There was a whole lot of stuff happening um, to make you guys successful. And you talk about that success and, you know, you look at it, you know, I think Another thing is when you look at the record books and you see, okay, Richmond High back-to-back, but you make the final in 84 and finish second. You win it in 85. You win it 87 and 88. You make the final in 90. You win it in 91. Like, I don't know if there's a coach that's had a run like that, you know, at the highest level in our province ever. I mean, at any level, you know, have you given yourself time to reflect on it? Do you really care? Is it more about kind of all the fun memories and young men that you've had and I know you've mentioned anything that's the most powerful for you, you know, keeping in touch with good buddies like Bristow and Maeve and, you know, Kyle Russell and, and the way that they talk about you now and the relationship they get to have with you today is more important than I think any experience they had as, you know, as a Richmond high player, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think though I can never say I didn't love those wins and that, that I'm not yeah. proud of those, of course I am. But those are fleeting things. I mean, that's happened, but I'm still really good friends with those. I just got off the phone chatting with one of my players from St. George's and he's a he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. He's a cryptocurrency genius and he's just a but I can talk to him and it's fun and he and, he, and it's I learned so much there. I had a, one of my kids from from St. George's again about 2 weeks ago said I want to learn about red wine. Can you teach me? Can I come over and have some red wine? So a couple of nights we got together and had red wine. And it's fun to do that mm-hmm. stuff. Those things so it's the friendships like that. And then you asked me who, who in the email what what um, my favorite concert was and i'm not a real music guy but my favorite concert would be listening to mave and bristow and and putsy with their guitars singing that would be my number one concert i love that that's fun and those are people that i love and care about and, and they're good you know and, and it's fun to see what what they can do I, that that's my favorite but I, I i wish i knew more about music i just don't but i i certainly love theirs <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah no i've been lucky to know so many great people for sure and if you don't mind like just reflect a little bit on those those fun wins and what it was like you know being in the agrodome and those crazy moments and the thing i always recall about you as a coach this the arms crossed with the stoic look always looking mm-hmm. confident never looking flustered you just always had that look about you and i think your teams took that on and the run that you had you know you set the standard not only in richmond but in the province as well and and you know the young eberharts came in trying to be like the bill disbro colts you know what i mean and, and mm-hmm. coaches were trying to emulate your program and be like you it had to have been a good feeling but also knowing waking up every season that everyone's coming gunning for you because you're going to be ranked one through five to start the year and probably be in there for the entire season you know so Talk about those years and the runs and, and some of the fun moments and maybe some memories that stick out for you, if you don't mind. And, and knowing, I know you're, a, you know, you don't want to get into this too much, but just don't worry about leaving people out. I think the people that are important to you know that they're important. So, yeah, well, I have had a tremendous number of just great, great human beings that I've got to be, got to coach and, and count as my friends still. In terms of being stoic on out there, I guess, um, for one thing, I'm not smart enough to come up with a whole lot of answers in a game anyway. But uh, I think that one of the things I learned was that uh, I, I remember reading, I think it was Yogi Berra or somebody said, Reuters or Casey Stengel, if you know that name. 
Rooters is amateurs. So if you're yelling and screaming, you're an amateur is what he was saying. <laughs> and I also like John Wooden said, you know, when you, you just, it all happens in practice. If it didn't happen in practice, it's not happening in a game. I, I, I think game adjustments are overrated. doesn't mean there aren't some. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, I, and I think that, to be honest, that's what cost us against you guys is I didn't make an adjustment at the end that I probably later should have. You guys, uh, Richie uh, put on a, a, a trapping 1-3-1 or something. I forget exactly, but mm-hmm. and we didn't adjust well. And I think that we were certainly good enough. You were a great team. We were a great team. That could have gone the other way had I been better at that kind of thing. And I regret that. Mm-hmm. But... Mostly, I think it has to have happened in practice. I, I see people come into situations, and they'll, they'll, I watch them in the timeouts, and they and they diagram two or three things. And I think you know, you're talking to a 15 to 17 year old kid in a mm-hmm. in a in a competition, and he's tired. There's no way that he can do those three things. They all make sense, but if you haven't done those a million times in practice, maybe if you've done them a million times in practice, you might get away with asking them to do two things. But when you go beyond it, you're just you're talking to yourself. You're trying to make yourself. Well, we tried. We had the right idea. The kids didn't execute. It's like a boxer. Do you ever watch them talk to boxers in between rounds? Oh, I got to do this, do that. Yeah. The guy can't even breathe. He's so tired. Yeah, he doesn't even hear you. Pass out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then it goes out and doesn't have. Well, I told him what to do. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you should have trained them how to do it. So yeah, that's part of why I. And in games, lots of times, especially early in the season, I would sometimes just let them go. Something wasn't going their way, and they were getting beat. And I'd just say, hey, guys, I don't have all the answers. You got to come up with answers. Your players. I love you going to just keep doing the same thing and having the same thing happen, or are you going to figure it out? Because I think that you empower them that way, and then they didn't need you. I mean, Gil Chung was the best ever at that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, Gil never got enough credit for what he did. He, brilliant guy and a fabulous human being, ultra competitive, and not a great athlete. Yep. But what a player! Doesn't matter if you're a great athlete. Guy knew the game. He's three steps ahead. Yeah, the head, yeah. the head and the heart are the most important. I mean, there's a guy that had them in spades, you know, and, and so yeah, Gil did. He does have a big head. We all know that. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> huge head, square too. Oh it's God, kind of square. Okay, they don't have a hat. Parents to fit that called them. Parents knew it was going to be that shape. They named him after a shopping mall, and it's like it's you know, Guilford. <laughs> it's, a, it's, 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 the same, it's the same shape. Uh, so. Yeah, I'll hear from him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I love, love that it. guy. Yeah, no, Gil's one of the great people you'll anyway, as you know, is one of the great people you'll ever know. <laughs> Everybody loves Gil. It's hard not to. It's true. Yeah, and because he, he well, you kind of get forced because you can't stop listening to him because he doesn't give you a choice. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you know he makes him. You make some. You make some great points in there, and I think it's interesting too. Early on in the episode, you talked about kind of you know. I thought I knew it all and I didn't. And I felt like you're speaking to me there, right? And things like timeouts and kind of just how you act on the sideline and what you're saying to your guys. And I think that just comes with time and maturity and just being more comfortable in your own skin and knowing. And that. you know, sometimes you got nothing to say in the timeout. I didn't call yeah. the timeout. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I have to impress myself or try to by, by yammering away about stuff? I don't have anything to change. We were just doing what's why they called the damn timeout. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but I, I mean, I don't. And there's been times when I just said that, you know, I don't have anything, any answers for you right now. Just continue to play the way we are. You've got to find it just, but you got to say it better than that because then they won't, um, they'll Mm -hmm. relax. But you know, it's, you don't have to have something to say all the time. I love when, uh, when Popovich, he, lots of times he doesn't, I don't have anything to say in the time. I let the players coach it. You Mm -hmm. know, I went in, we played at, uh, we played, uh, Vancouver college in a, in an elimination game at the lower mainlands a few years ago. And I didn't have a very strong team. But we were down by 
15 or something at the half. And, and they were a better team than us, but we shouldn't have been down that much. But anyway, so myself and Rich Cohey, who was, was assisting with me at that time, as we're heading towards the change room, talking about what we should try to do to change things, as we got close, I said, stop, listen. Outside the change room, one of our guys, he was a starter, but not a scorer, not just a tough kid, mm-hmm. Jay Wan Holm. He was going off on our guys and demanding that they had worked too hard to let this happen. They had done this. And, that. and it was one of the great speeches I had ever heard. And I just walked in and said, you just heard it all, guys. See ya. Mm-hmm. And I left and went back out to the court. I don't have to impress them. They had already learned everything they needed to do. It was about heart. It was about caring mm-hmm. in that situation. They went out and scored the first 19 points the second half and won the game. Wow. But the, he had gotten them pumped. I love that. It, coaches, you know, we're a little bit overrated. If you can give it to the players, mm-hmm. man, watch what happens. So true. Love it. We'd like to take this time to thank our two sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. As we enter the May Long Weekend, we would like you, our dear listeners and friends, to support these local businesses. They have been supporters of our little podcast adventure since the beginning, and what better way to show your appreciation for the podcast by heading down over to Main Street or Brewer's Row. Mention a hoop's journey to them, and, well, all we can say is they're going to make sure you're well, well taken care of. Get out there, enjoy the sunshine with some family, some fresh Gulad apparel, and a Parkside beer. Thank you to both Shane Meyer Goodlad and Travis McLean and Ryan Payne at Parkside. We hope to see you there. One more question before we get into kind of the lightning fun round, but just talk about, because Richmond High also had some great football success during your time as well. And the women's program, I believe one year... We won both. You won and they won it, right? Like, what was it like to be involved in Richmond High School at that time? It must have just been such an amazing experience um, overall from a, like a whole school perspective and, and athletic perspective. I mean, I would say that there's never been a, a school, anything like it. it we mm. were, they were tops academically. We had a great drama program, great music program. Every sports team was good. There was, and then we were the focus kind of in terms of um, the crowds. I mean, we sold out every night. It was crazy. This, yeah. The crowds and the, the excitement around all of that. Amazing stuff. The, the kids that went to school back then, uh, to that school. Well, it, here's a story. So I go in the ocean every morning, and the, and the same kind of people, walk, same people walk by every, every morning, stop and talk. And one of them one day said something about basketball. And then I, and I, we started to talk a little bit. He said, you know, he said, the high school I went to, he said it was just an epic thing he said i came from sri lanka and he said i I didn't know anything about this he says and i fell in love with basketball i went to all the games it was crazy and went all this stuff i said well what high school did you go to he said richmond high and i said i took i was wearing a a hat because it was raining and i took my hat off and he went oh my god it's you (laughs) But, but it was he said that school did so much for me. He said it was just so much fun. Every day was fun. Everything was mm-hmm. exciting that was going on. And I just, you don't hear that about high school. It was, yeah. it was really nice to hear it. I should tell you a quick story about how big it was at one time. My first ever great player. Do you have time? Of course. Right. Of course. Oh, okay. All the time for you, coach. <laughs> well, my first ever great player was Alan Tate. And Alan, he may have been the best player I ever coached. He, he's certainly up there. He's certainly one of the greatest players in BC high school history. Held all the scoring records until the three-point shot line, three-point came in, and would have held them all had he had it when he because he was a score, he could shoot. But anyway, his year when we played 
Steveston, we held a meeting after school to talk about what strategy and stuff or being ready. So the game was at 8 o'clock. The meeting ended at 4 o'clock. And we went to leave. And we could hear all kinds of noise. My, my classroom was upstairs. And as we walked down the stairs, we could see that the hallway was full of people. Wide hallways, old school, wide, wide hallways. And it was filled from the gym to the library, probably 200 meters, mm. wall to wall. We couldn't even walk down the hallway. We had to go out another exit because it was so full. And it was a lineup for the game, which was four hours away. Wow. It was just like, where does that happen? And then Alan became the biggest star probably in, in high school anywhere. Putsy would have been second, I guess. He was a big star in high school, but... But Alan was the biggest. And he, we were coming back from uh, in, in the summer once, and we went to the Dairy Queen, coming back to the school to shoot a bit. And he and I walked by this this park, the baseball park, and the Little League uh, playoffs were on for Western Canada. Mm-hmm. So we're quite a ways away. And on the PA, I hear, Alan Tate. Is that Alan Tate? So we look, yeah. And they said, can you come over here? They stopped the game so the kids could meet Alan. This is a high school kid going into grade 12. They stopped hmm. the game so the parents could come out and the players could meet Alan Tate. You know, it was just, it was so huge. And then we, he was going to run, I had set up for him to run a, an elementary school camp. So he was going to go to yep. some of the elementary schools to promote it. And he went to one of them, or we went to one of them. I took him over there. And uh, we got there before the, the school got out for, the, for lunch. And um, the principal said, well, you can just wait in the staff room. And it's pretty soon in the staff room, there's all the teachers start arriving. The classes are still on. And he said, the principal came in and said, well, I wanted all the teachers. He went on the PA and invited them all to come down to meet Alan Tate. Who does that? This is high school, grade 11 kid. Yeah. It was just, it was so huge. And he, Alan never saw an empty seat in a gym that he played in. Right. He played two years at our school and it was jammed every night. And we, away games, we took up to eight buses to away games. And then, mm. When he went to Oregon State, they sold out every game he ever played there. And he ended up captain, played with seven guys that played in the NBA. You know, so he had a hell of a career. But he was a great player before your time. But amazing. Uh, but it, that's how big it was back then. It was truly huge. Yeah. You know, we we got we had a shoe contract. We got paid. We got money to go to U.S. tournaments and everything. It was just a, it was it was so much fun. I, so it was part of my they say my goal to become the best to be as good as anybody in the world. I don't know how you ever decide if you are. Mm-hmm. We thought we we got pretty close with what we were doing. I would agree. What keeps you going now? Yeah, why do Saints, VC, why, why all these places? And now I still wake up every morning and think, man, I really want to keep going. Like, you have all every reason in the world to just sit Oceanside. Well, I'm lucky. I live in a great place. I've got a great apartment. And I've got a penthouse looking over the ocean and stuff. It's great. But, I mean, is that, is that what life's about? I sit around and drink some nice wine at night. I don't think that's just all it's about. It, it, the challenge is still every bit as big to me. Hmm. Um, I think that... I missed out on on an awful lot of opportunities to to uh, continue to be to have the kind of program we did. Things just changed in terms of Richmond High changed tremendously in in how the school district was was set up, and then our school mm-hmm. became was the IB school in a, in a district where a whole lot of the people when when Hong Kong was turned over to the Chinese, the people that that left and came, they an awful lot of them went to Richmond. Then the not the top academic ones all went to Richmond High. So all of a sudden. We couldn't even, we never, I never cut anybody. We just, everybody that came out, you only, and we were all midgets. So we went from a powerhouse mm-hmm. to within their school, went from 5% Asian to 95% Asian in three years. Wow. Completely, 
completely changed. And so we had great kids. It was fun, but we couldn't win anymore. And I, and you know, that got, you know, it was tough to win. And we did okay, but we never really could, could reach the, the levels we were at before, but we were good. And, mm-hmm. and we still did the trips and did all that stuff. And then VC, I think if I, if I hadn't, if I hadn't, uh, it was co-coaching. Which I just don't think works. It worked for Don and and Richie, but it didn't work. For, I, and I never had a single argument with my co-coaches at VC. One of them played for me, Lloyd Scrub. The other one was a great guy. But I just kn- John Tagalow. But they were very much X's and O's and stuff more than I was. And 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 so without a single disagreement, I think we would have won two titles there if if it had just been me. And maybe if it had just been them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think the combination was great. So I stopped and went to St. George's, not realizing that I went to St. George's at a time when they're their focus was changing from trying to be an uh, an athletic powerhouse to, to almost trying not to be. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a bit uh, frustrating. Even though I loved my time there and had great, awesome kids. I mean, awesome kids, but and great support. But it wasn't the wasn't the same. So David Thompson now, and David Thompson mm-hmm. hasn't been very strong. But you know what? Kids are kids. Mm-hmm. And if we were if we we're given the time, if, if I I don't think I can put in the time that I used to. I used to be at Richmond High every morning early. Yeah, leave late at night after practice. So it was my whole life, which was some ways was good. Some ways you lost out on other things, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I can't put in that time. But I know that what I do works and I know that this team could do, be very good next year at David Thompson, whether they'll buy into it as much when you're not around all the time, it's harder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's way better when you're in the school. But uh, I love the kids. We got, a, we got a chance to be decent. That's for sure. Maybe really good. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what what their commitment is like when we can get going again. Um, so I'm excited about that. I think it's a challenge. Every single day to me is a challenge. It's about communication. Mm-hmm. How do you get through to kids? I know what I'm telling them works. Hundred percent know that if they buy in, and they all buy in, but it just takes longer for some. If they all buy in early enough, we're going to be really good. I don't care who the kids are. You know, I always believe that. So it's that's the challenge. How do you make that happen? And, and every day. It's it's exciting. So I, I'm excited to drop practice plan every day. So <laughs> and every group of kids and every day is different. So it's not easy. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's not easy. For sure. You talked a little bit about being aware and observing some culture shifts in schools. Do you fear from what you see and know? Um, I don't know how you know in tune you are with kind of what's happening in schools overall in the province. Do you have a fear that it's happening even more and more that the 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 lack of care for extracurricular, you know, you talked about Richmond High, about the arts, the drama, like everything. It wasn't the music. It was the whole spectrum. Do you have a fear about that in high schools in our province and the way it's going? Or have you thought about it all? Yes, I do. And I, I really, the experiences that I have shared with our guys and our guys shared with each other that you had at, at Terry Fox, invaluable, life-changing, you know, and lifetime friendships. And, and I just hate club ball does not do that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't do that. And, and I don't get it. And I think it's really sad. I hope that we can find a way to keep high school uh, ball going because it's, it, it's, it's a far superior product mm-hmm. in terms of what it means to people. And, uh, and it means so much. And, you know, one of the things I hate, I, and I wanted to just mention this, I hate when I hear kids say they're trying to get, I want to, I'm just trying to get to the next level. Man, oh man, oh man. You know, you know how few get to the next level. But even if they they do, today's what matters. You love the game. Yeah. 
You like your teammates? Do you like working hard? Do you like getting better? Today's your day. Do it today. And if, if, you, if you do it as hard as you can today, tomorrow will take care of itself. The next level, if it's possible, that'll happen. But don't go and say, well, I'm trying to get to the NBA, and if I don't get there, everything's a disappointment. Or I'm just trying to get a college scholarship, or everything's a disappointment. Or I want to be an all-star, or everything's a disappointment. No, it's not. It's not. Today was great, wasn't it? Didn't you have fun today? Didn't you love what you were doing today? Forget yeah. about that. That'll all happen. And by loving it and trying the best to be the best you can today, those things are going to happen. But don't yeah. don't look past today. It can all end for you in a flash. And and it's not that doesn't make it that it was a waste of time. I, and I've known some kids that they didn't want anything to do with it anymore because they didn't get what they they wanted out of it, or their parents felt that way. And I, I I really hate that. This going off to prep schools and stuff drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, go off to a prep school where you don't know who the hell the coach is. You don't know the players. You don't have play in a league. You don't have a rivalry. All those things because you're trying to get to the next level. That almost how many kids from BC have gone to prep school that haven't come home? Mm-hmm. Any? I mean, I don't know. I don't keep track, but I think that they've all come home and they're disappointed right. as hell. Yeah. If you're good, you can make it here. I don't care what school you're at or anything. It's up to you. It's not up to your coach. It's up to you. Get it mm-hmm. done. If you want to be good at something, get it done. It takes hours. It doesn't happen easily, but you don't have to go anywhere to do that. And maybe if you're going to be truly going to be an NBA player, I get that every day you'll compete against better players. So there's something there if you go to the right prep school that happens to work out for you. But for the most part, that's a big mistake. Yet it's got all this glamour to it. Oh, he's going prep school. Well, great. He just just blew what could have been the greatest experience of his life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think. No, I yeah. agree. And, it, you know, as a coach, I see the kids, you know, they almost kind of, they refer to themselves as like a bench warmer. I ride the bench. Whereas it's like, no, you have a jersey. Like you're one of 12, you're one of 15, take pride in that, take pride and continue to show up every day. And so, yeah, I agree that that, that portion of it. And then also on the other end, it's like kind of the first thing they want to know, they, they correlate everything to playing time. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you, you know, you're, you're part of a program for one and we already cut 15 or 20 other kids. So you could be here and what are you going to do to make everybody else better as well, right? So it's, you know, you bring up some interesting, powerful stuff there. And, and they get to play every day. They come to practice. They get to play basketball every day. Yeah. You know, they, they can't say they never get to play. I, I know I'd rather you know, be in games like and stuff. Awesome. But they're getting to play, and hopefully I'm helping them try to get better. But you mm-hmm. know what? We're at a level where we're not. it's not just about participation. We are trying to, to, to put the best program out there and win as much as we can. And so sometimes some guys don't get to do it. I, I remember at St. George's my first year there, I think it was, and I had a kid that, and at St. George's, I'd like to put one of the things, and I didn't used to do this, but you have to meet with every kid that tries out and tell them why they didn't make it, you know, if they didn't stop, which I found uncomfortable at first, but it was a really good thing to do really. And um, mm-hmm. I met with one that I did take, but I talked to him first. And I said, you know, the reality is I don't know if you'll ever get to play. And he said, I couldn't care less. He says, I'm going to compete like I want to play every damn day. But I know that my goal is to be, to, is to make Drew better. My job is to challenge him every day and to be the biggest cheerleader on the team. And I had never heard a kid just say that. I, like, I didn't have to ask him to do that. Yeah. Thought, wow, yeah. that's a great kid. And he is an awesome kid, Winston. And he was just, oh, man. But that, you, you want guys like that around. He understood. Yeah. You know, but not all of them do. And one of the worst things that can happen to a team, and this happened to me in my last year at St. George's, was 
when you've got too many kids that are about pretty equal in ability, mm. people say, well, that's a nice, like if you've got 10 kids who can play, you got a problem. Right. Because <laughs> you yeah. cannot keep them happy. You can't. And they do, they're right. They do deserve to play. And I had that my last year and I loved all those kids, but I had 10 that could play. And, mm. and I've never been very great at subbing. I tried harder <laughs> that year, but it's, mm. um, you know, my best guy, Jarek, was going to be out there all the time. I'm sorry, he was. But, um, yeah. and, and guys liked him, so that worked out okay. But still, guys at the end, the 8th, ninth, and 10th guys, that can switch around in a hurry because they're just as good as 5, 6, and 7. You know, right. and, and, and it's really hard for them. They were good and they, they handled it. But I think that's, I would take, I want to have two really good players, three guys that, can, that, are, that are decent, and a couple of guys who can fill in. That's when you've got a chance to be really good. Mm-hmm. But if you've got if you've got ten guys that can play, you're in big trouble. But that's yeah. just hard to keep them happy. Good stuff. Love it. <laughs> it's like free pro D once again. Okay, so we'd really appreciate your time. This is awesome. We've been wanting to, you know, sit down and chat with you, and this is phenomenal. Uh, you said that you know you're not a big music guy. You like music. That if you had a choice, it'd be the Mave putsy bristol band what are your real thoughts about ketchup on macaroni well when i was young i used to do that now i I look at ketchup as being liquid sugar and i don't want anything to do with it but i know i used to when i was young i I used to put it on but i certainly would not today i I love the cheese and uh i'm I'm quite a big cheese guy and uh no i would never do that (laughs) (laughs) dom's in the morning dom's in the morning (laughs) yeah Dom has a bit of a ketchup problem. Um, <laughs> are you a big reader? Yes. So what's a, what's okay? Maybe tell us a favorite book for you, or something you've read recently that you've really enjoyed. Well, I can tell you uh, right now. I would say, and there's been a lot, but three mm. that I think are you'd love. One is a gentleman in Moscow, story of a man who was a, a royalty. Uh, and he ends up with after the revolution, they, they, they decide not to execute him, but he has to live the rest of his life in a hotel. So it's a life in the hotel and it's amazing, brilliant, brilliantly written. I think it won a Nobel prize or won a huge prize gentleman mm-hmm. in Moscow. Next one. And these, these two are by the same guy and uh, a guy named uh, Paul Beatty or Phil Be- Paul. And he, he, he wrote um, the sellout. I think it won a Pulitzer prize. And and one I and I finished it, loved it, and I just started yesterday reading his next one, the White Boy Shuffle, and okay. he is one of the. This is sometimes I'm just stunned by how brilliant some people are. Paul Beatty is absolute brilliance. This book breaks me up every three sentences, but <laughs> it's really really deep, and it's a, it's written by a black guy, and it's every stereotype ever that could be about black people and he talks as if i can't even describe how brilliant it is well i won the pulitzer prize so when you first start when i first started reading it the sellout and i thought i don't know if i should even be reading this i can't give any of the quotes to anybody because they're horrible and stuff Mm -hmm. but then i started to get the humor of it i just wasn't sure what was going on in the beginning but i found Hmm. so really really highly recommend that and so far the white boy shuffle is is it may be even funnier, but it's but it's deep funny. It's about racism. It's about all these things. But he's just well, horrible things are happening. I mean, he has a slave. He lives in Los Angeles, modern day Los Angeles. He has a slave, and it's it's just it's unbelievable stuff. But it's it's just so mm. much. 
it, yeah, really, really worthwhile. It'll broaden your horizons. And and uh, Gentleman in Moscow is brilliant too. But this one just shocked me. This Paul Beatty guy, how how bright he is to be able to. I don't know how you come up. Every every sentence is just brilliant English, and uh, and every cliche in the world about Black America kind of is in there. But it, it is it's a great great read. So, and White Boy Shuffle, same. The White Boy Shuffle, the guy is Gunner Kaufman, and he's a black guy. <laughs> so how the hell that can be? But uh, everything is, uh, is is strange. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Good. That's a Give them a try and let me myself. know what you think. Yeah, for sure. I know no one likes to talk about this, but who are some of the greatest players or people that you've had the opportunity to coach? Oh, my God. I didn't wasn't ready for that one. <clears throat> I try never to put people in an order because I will forget, I will get it wrong, and I will miss people that um, I, I love and respect so much. So I don't know. Um, certainly, Alan Tate as one of the great players is also one of the great people. Still very good friends with Alan. Um, all all the great players tended to have great personalities, and it wasn't. And, I, and then and then there were obviously also kids who never played who I loved too. You know, have been very big in my life. Um, she was, you know, I, I, I don't know if I could ever begin to go down a list of that. At, at one point, a, f- a few years ago, I, I looked up the Canadian Player of the Year, University Player of the Year, and I had been lucky enough to coach five of the 11 of the last of the past 11 years. Wow. All three of them being Phil Scrub. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Pasha and Kyle won that too. So that was fun. So I've, certainly in terms of players, I've known great, but all those are great, great people. Um, I mentioned Gil already, Jason Bristow, Andrew Mavis, and Andrew never got the credit that he deserved as a player. I don't think he he got it, and he, his college career was amazing. But still, I think when people think of the great players of all time, you don't hear his name. Well, they're wrong. Yeah, yeah I I totally agree. He's by far one of, if not the best player I've ever played against. And I think just because there isn't a title attached to it, he gets overlooked. And it's like I, I watched that '94 final, and it's like. Dave Morgan and Maeve are just, they're just, they're on a different level and Maeve's on a different level from Dave. It's like not even, it's not, it's a different world. Yeah. 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 And, and, and an incredible man too. Like I've never met, I mean, I, there's lots of great fathers, but he's a, he's a good, as good a father as I've ever seen to his kids. He bring, brought them to the, I, I don't have my cabin anymore, but they used to come every summer there and watch how he treated kids and, and um, his patience and his intelligence with, and how he was raising them. And, and then you see that he's a great guitarist and he does it, you know, and then he's great with his hands working, you know, carpenter and stuff. And these are the kind of people you just love to be around. And uh, mm-hmm. they're far more than just a basketball player. And, and they, all, they were great at that, or he was, and so they, others but there's so many that have all of that going on and i think it's one of the things that sets the duke basketball program apart which is what i and i'm a duke fan it's the only team in sport i really care about um Mm. and i spent a week there i had an incredible week there and i got treated like royalty i got to go into all the private meetings and with coach k and stuff and it was just his treatment and then you see they call it the brotherhood there's a family thing there and i think we have that too and i i really love that we have that. And I was dazzled to see how they did it and how similar mm-hmm. it was. I would agree. When, when I hear people that I know the, you know, the Carlos, the Mike Davis is the talk about yeah. and all the other names you've mentioned that talk about, you know, Richmond basketball, there's, it's something that's different. And, um, had the opportunity to do that. I went to the Duke clinic as well. And I couldn't believe it. Coach K, he didn't have enough time to greet everyone on the first day. 
So he came back and made himself available for the whole two hour lunch the next day and, and shook hands, signed mm-hmm. whatever anybody wanted with every single person. I was like, this is like the most selfless human being. And I, I like to bug and take the piss out of Duke fans just for the sake of it. But you're, you're fooling yourself if he's not one of the greatest coaches in any sport ever. Um, and that goes a lot with him being a great human. So I can only imagine what that week was like. Well, again, you got a minute? Of course. Yes. So yes. I decided I wanted to go down. I, I, as a Duke fanatic, I wanted to go down and, and 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 attend practices for a week. So I wrote, yep, I could come. So they said there'd be 30 or 40 coaches normally there on a day to watch practice. So I went to a practice there. I went to, I, mean, I went to practices there every day. I also went to North Carolina and um, and watched practice there. And the difference in the way you were treated was just amazing. At, at Duke, it was like a family mm-hmm. for all the coaches. So friendly, so helpful. North Carolina, you had to go through all these the security stuff, and then they put you in the top of the Dean Dome to watch freaking practice, three hundred meters away. You know, yeah. and and so you know, it was just binoculars, r- yeah. ridiculous. What a difference! And here's the public school versus the snotty private school. The snotty private school was the family and the friendly, but um, mm-hmm. so I go into the first uh, practice session, and I and I love the gym. Cameron Indoor is a fantastic gym, and, and I so I'm, I I walked around it the first night I got there. Then it, then the next day I go to practice, and there there are thirty or forty coaches, and it's just like UBC. It's got the railing around about ten feet off the floor. And uh, so we sat down at the front of the railing and with all these other coaches. And we just, he just said, coaches, you're welcome to be here. Just please, you know, just be, keep quiet and stuff. And then he brought all the practice right in front of us. He brought it always. Everything they said, they came over and they stood in front of the coaches. And they, and they talked. And I noticed that the, the players were always putting their arms around their, each other's shoulders and stuff. And it was a real warm kind of a feeling there. Anyway, at the end of uh, an hour or so, he says, okay, coaches, we, we're taking a break now. We take a break every day, and we go in and we watch a little film sometimes, or we just talk about practice or what we want to do in the, in the second part of practice. So he turned to walk out, and then he turned around, and he pointed, and he said, you, pointing at me, can come with us. And I said, and I pointed at myself, me? Yeah, you. Okay. So he told me where to go, so I went down. I walked in, and they had a tiny little team room. This is before, and I'm sure they don't have that now. It was a small little team room where the guys had, some of them had to even sit on the floor in there. And they had a, you know, a big screen and stuff. And he, and I, and he, I walked in with, with him and he put me in this chair right beside him. So it was him and I, a couple of assistant coaches and the team in this little room. And here I am. This is like, oh my God, I'm right in here. And it was amazing every, and, and then he did that every day. No way. One other time he invited another guy. And I said, oh, no, did he? Remember that guy? Yeah, that guy. No, that guy didn't get to go in. But I did talk to him. And I asked him where he was from. He said, well, I'm, I'm at Syracuse. <laughs> he was the top assistant coach at Syracuse. I said, and you're allowed to be here? He said, yeah, this is, this is the mecca of basketball. This is where we all come to learn. And he said, hey, they don't care as long as you're not playing them next. You're welcome to come. Yeah. But, but I had been there so for five days. And then I even got to be in the private meetings with the players. So he had... He had some issues with a couple of guys. They came in, and I got to be there and sit there and listen to him talk to them about how to improve as human beings, how to do all this stuff. And it was just stunning to me. And it was also, for me, it's egotistical, but I thought this is exactly a copy of our practices. Mm. 
was exactly what we were doing, the kinds of things. Now, yeah, I had copied some little play things that they did, but otherwise it was the way they treated guys, the things they worked on. It was all the same. And I was just, mm-hmm. so that really gave me Pretty a lot of encouragement, eh? really okay. reinforced the, my belief in what we were doing. But, but uh, that was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had a, a horrible experience there too. I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, and maybe I have. So I decided that it was so much like what we did, I wanted our guys to hear what went on in those meetings. So I brought in a, I went and bought a small little tape recorder. Back then it was a physical, it wasn't digital. So it had a little cassette that you put in it. And I put mm-hmm. it in my pocket. So while he was mm-hmm. talking, and I had it running while he was talking. Well, this is the day when Coach K lost his marbles. So he started going off mm-hmm. on his captain. <laughs> And he was swearing and MFing and this, oh, and I'm sitting right beside him. And he's going off on this kid. I'd never seen a kid destroyed like that. I really couldn't believe what I was, what I was hearing. And, and I'm recording it. And I know this is a little tape recorder with a short lifespan. It's going to beep mm. when it's finished. And I'm thinking, if it beeps, I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get killed. Here I am recording this. And oh my God. Anyway, luckily, and I didn't know how to turn it off. I couldn't reach in my pocket to try to turn yeah, this thing yeah. off. I'm yeah. sitting right beside him, you know, <laughs> so I'm sweating bullets. But um, anyway, I, it didn't beep, and I got, and I actually did get rid of the tape. I was embarrassed, but it turned out it worked. They, they were struggling, and he went after his captain, and then, and I, I thought this kid may never play again. He was crying while coach was doing it and stuff, and um, it was awful to be there. And uh, and then I went to then I went out, went out on the floor and I just watched. Nobody else knew, so I really was watching how the players reacted. Man, nothing but hugs every stop. The other players would come over and hug that guy. It happened amazing. And then he went on to have a great season. And he re, and he became an assistant coach there, and is now a head coach at a Division One university, a big one. So it didn't. It worked. He knew that guy, and he treated everybody else with kid gloves, and like everything was positive and stuff. But. He knew to go after that one. He just knows people, I guess. But I, I'm sure glad I didn't get caught. <laughs> You're frozen on me. You got me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I might not have been able to have this podcast. I mean. Yeah, I'd have been dead. There. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. You got me? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, we were only your third podcast anyway. So, you know, mm. I mean, we were only third best. But, hey, it'll do. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You do a great job. I think you make people very comfortable and yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Who's been the most important person or people in your life? You know, I, 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 I knew that was going to be a question and I'm not really sure that I have a great answer to that. The person who changed my life was the principal at Richmond High because I went there. I was just a student. I wanted to go into business. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I had done some very big things that made a lot of money when before I when I was 19, 20 years old, unluckily it all got stolen from me. But, um, the, um, but I, I didn't want to be a teacher. And, and then he said to me after my first year, and we'd had a great year. And he said, look, if you still want, we really want you to continue to coach here, but you know, if a teacher wants to do it, we got to let him do it. So why don't you go and, why don't you become a teacher? And I said, I don't even have a teaching major. He said, we don't care. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Go get a, just go get your teaching certificate and come. And so I decided I would try that briefly. And then, you know, 28 years later, I retired as a teacher, but um, yeah, it was there a long time. Yeah, but so, so that probably is what that that changed my life path for sure. 
I wanted to make more money, so I managed to do that on the side, but it took a long time. And I, I think yeah. I would have really loved business too, but I, I, I would have missed out on what I've done now and the people I know and stuff. So it wouldn't, it would have been a very, very different life. It's amazing how things can turn and, and your life goes down these paths mm-hmm. and they work out. And this one worked out very well, but that's yeah. true. So that's probably the most influential thing that ever happened to me in terms of how it affected my life. Yeah. Good stuff. In your opinion, who's the greatest basketball player ever all time, any level? Well, for me, like, Many people, it's not even a question. Michael Jordan was. Mm. Um, I see no argument. But um, And here's what I say. Comparison, what is this? The thief of joy. It takes away, for me to say that LeBron James is not the greatest player of all time, sounds like a real negative. Hell no, it's not a negative. The guy's fantastic. He is one of the very greatest players in this fabulous game that has ever lived. Michael was better. Okay, that's all I'm saying. He was better. But... I'll give LeBron the greatest career, mm. the, ex- the length, the longevity, the, the, the you yep. know, the, the, and his de- game has developed. I think in the beginning, he wasn't a real competitor. I think he's become more of a competitor. I think I saw him surrender in many games. I didn't, he used to say that, that he didn't, when it came to the big times of games, the great players went up 10 or 15%. I always thought LeBron went down 10 or 15. He made some, but he didn't make many. That's changed. And I give him that. And, and at his age to be doing what he's doing. Plus, he's never screwed up. and He's under the public scrutiny all the time. He's, he's fantastic. But when I think about great players, for me, who takes my breath away? Jordan took my breath away constantly. Like, oh, my God. Did you just see what that guy did? Did you see that clutch shot that he hit over and over and over again? LeBron impresses me. Mm-hmm. Never takes my breath away. Mm-hmm. Never. I'm impressed. I would help, you know, I don't know how you stop him and he's, he can do all these, but it's just impressive that he's this massive human being that can do all those things. But it, it's never take your breath away from me. Michael did all uh, regularly. I went and saw it the three times he played here. I had front row seats to, to, to watch his, watch him play. And, and, and I should tell you again, a, a quick story about Michael mm-hmm. Jordan. So always trying to do the biggest and best things. So in 1991, going into the 91 season, we had an undefeated season and won it. But going into that season, we, I, again, looking for things that were exciting, and I knew that the, the Bulls were coming to Vancouver to play against the uh, Sonics in an exhibition game. So, thinking big, I picked up the phone. I phoned uh, David Falk, who was Michael's agent. I didn't get him, but I got his assistant. And, sh- and I said, here's what I think would be a great idea. I said, the NBA is trying to become a worldwide brand. You're coming to Canada? How about if... I will host, I will be having my team have a meeting. It was in October. I said, I'll have a t- call a team meeting. We'll be in my classroom. And dur- in my classroom, I said, we'll have, the press will be there. And it'll be kind of strange for the kids. Then They're used to the press being around because they're number one. They've been tops. They'd come in second the year before and stuff, I think, or whatever. And um, so I said, they're used to the press being around. They'll be a little surprised at how many press there are. But I would like to have the press be up by me filming the kids. And while I'm talking... Michael will walk in the room, and uh, she was quiet for a minute. She said, that's a fabulous idea. I love it. She said, let me talk to David and talk to Michael, and I'll call you back. So she did, and she came back and said, all three of us love it. We're doing it. Make it happen, coach. Wow. And I said, and of course now I'm, again, like we're talking to Morgan Wooten, I'm in stunned land. I've got Michael Jordan, the world's most famous human being, coming into the into Richmond High and I can't tell anybody because it can't it has to be a secret. You can't keep that a secret. 
Mm-hmm. So I can't tell anybody that we're doing that. And then, so we work it out and figure out what we're going to do. So we're going to have this meeting right after school. He's going to have to get through the hallway. So there was a back way he could come into the school and go almost straight up to my classroom. So we thought he could probably, if, if even one kid saw him, there's no way that any, everybody knew who he was. But right. we figured we could do it. And then it was the, the, it was just a couple of days before it was going to happen. And they said, they, they phoned and said, we, we, we can't do it. And here's why. They said, we apologize. During a regular season NBA game, we have to fly out the night before when we leave a, a city and then f- be in the, in the city we're going to play. And we have to be there the day before. We can, we're not allowed to arrive the day of the game. We have to get there the day before. So they always, that's why they fly late at night quite often. Mm. They take off. They have to be there. So they, there's no, nothing happens to derail the game. Mm-hmm. She said, we didn't think about it. That's not the case for this. We're not even arriving in Vancouver until the afternoon. And she said, we had already arranged to stay at the Richmond Inn. They stayed at the Richmond Inn when they played here. No way. So they could get to Richmond High. And then she said, we don't have any time. We're coming in. We're going to the Coliseum to practice. We're coming back. We have a meeting. We have dinner. And we go back and we play. So we can't do it. So he sent three, um, sent a letter of apology, Michael did, and sent three life-size posters that were all autographed. And uh, apologize because we came that close with Jordan, so that that was uh, a neat thing too. But it, it didn't quite happen. But that was neat. Hmm. But anyway, my other three, my best players ever. So the other one that dazzled me, Larry Bird dazzled me, took my breath away. Hmm. His competitiveness, his care. I loved the guy. And the one that now that I think is one of the greatest players of all time is Steph Curry. Steph every single night knocks my socks off. I listen to these guys say he can't be MVP this year because his team isn't in the top five. What are you talking about? Yeah. Look what he is doing. And look, it's just ridiculous what he's doing. And so if I was to, you know, if he was to go and bring a high school team in the NBA and get them to the 10th spot in the league, he couldn't be MVP even though the rest of the guys can't even play? Mm-hmm. What is that about? You, oh, you have to be in the top five for winning percentage. I think that's just ludicrous. Mm. Now, he, he truly dazzles me, and I love him as a human being. He and his wife have fed 16 million people during COVID. Mm. He, is, he plays the game with a joy. Like they talk, well, I don't like the way he dances around. I love the way he dances around. He's never intimidating anybody. He's not doing it at other benches. He's not doing that. So he's having fun. Mm-hmm. He just loves to play. And he, has, he just plays with a joy. I, I think he's absolutely dazzling as a human. And, and, and I mean, as a player, it's, it's beyond belief. So there's my, those are my top three. Perfect. I saw a tweet yesterday, and it said, Steph Curry is only 83 pointers behind Ray Allen and his career record, including the playoffs. And Curry has played 600 fewer games than Ray Allen. And Ray Allen could really shoot. Yeah. Well, I listened to Drew Holiday, and he's he's supposed to be the top defender, I think. Mm. And they asked him about defending him, and he said, uh, his, his final line was, it's impossible, but he said he... He's an alien. He said he's not a human being. He says that human beings can't do what he does. Mm. That's an alien. And uh, we're lucky to have him on this planet. But, uh, yeah, and it, it is. And I, as I say, and then it's his attitude, the way with his family, his home life. I mean, it's just, that, that's, I, I would like to be Steph Curry. <laughs> that, those parents have done a hell of a job of raising that, those kids, you know, and especially that one. That's awesome. Love it. little remix. Okay, two more questions. One real quick. Not sure how this is going to go because I feel like you're, a wine and cheese guy, but if you were oh, snacking yeah. a little bit and wanted to get a bag of chips, what bag of chips are you getting? 
I have chips quite often. Most days, actually, I sit out and have a... I, I found a de-alcoholized beer I like. So I, cause I, if I drink a beer in the afternoon, now I fall asleep. I, I'm done. <laughs> so I can't do that. But I, there's a really good de-alcoholized beer, which is just like sacrilege. But it, it, at um, Safeway has the best one I've ever had. And it tastes like real beer. It's mm. good. So I have that. And, I have, uh, and I'm not a, a, a chip aficionado. I know you guys have got some, some great takes on chips. I love to listen to them. I just have Miss Vicky's from Costco because I can get the big bag for cheap. Yeah. And uh, salt and vinegar, and then I I actually put some I pour some avocado oil, sprinkle some avocado oil on top of it. Oh! And then I usually dip it in uh, art. Was it artichoke and garlic and uh, oh, what else? Parmesan or something? Anyway, it's a Costco dip. Wow! And I, and that's that's about as fine as food gets. I think. That's sure. That's that's a oh yeah. I like that. So the avocado oil is really a nice touch. And then of course you get to run your fingers across the bowl at the bottom. Because um, it, you know you get all that salt and flavor come through again. Impressive, wow, Corbs! Yeah. Just when you thought you've heard it all, Corbin. I, I gotta. Tr- I think. I think we have to try that. I think that's Bill Dispro approved. Sounds a little classy for a hoops journey, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> again, Coach, so so grateful for you to sit down with us. But um, upon all your reflection, and I know you're still hoping you get a chance with David Thompson in the future, coaching and still doing it. But if you could do it all again, you would what? Well, I would have tried when I was a kid to try to be an actual player, and I would have worked more at that. I've learned that anything you do, you should try to do it your best. I didn't really know that when I was young. I think most people don't. Lots of people pay lip service to it, but I think it's really a huge lesson for any of us to have learned. And that's one of the great things about being uh, about what about sport. Mm. You tried to be as good as you could be. How many people do you know in their lives have really tried at anything? Did they try to be a great? you know, great student in math, or did they try? I don't know what. You loved what you did. You were driven to do what you did, and it changes your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so amazing to be in love with something and to go after it like that. I wish I had been that way, and I I learned I I am as a coach, but I I wish I had been that way as a player and and, and tried. And it doesn't take talent. I've seen some of the greatest players. It's the the brain and the heart, as we said, uh, you know, you watch the some of the greatest players I've ever seen weren't physically the, the, the most dominant kind of athletic guys. Well, you aren't. I mean, you know, compare yourself to some of the guys that you've had to go up against who are faster, bigger, could you run, jump higher. But were they tougher? No. Mm. Had they worked at the game harder? No. You can overcome those things. I hate when people tell kids that you can't be something. You know, I don't know who's got the heart. You know, I mean, I, hopefully I learned quickly and you see it early, but... You can't tell them, you know what what they what they're capable of. There's short, fat guys that can really play, <laughs> you know, and there's there's really big, athletic guys who can't play worth crap, you know. It, it's not about that. It's it's the brain and the heart that are gonna gonna get it done. So don't ever tell a kid he can't be a player. You, one of the greatest I ever saw was Akron Eager from mm. um, Kitsilano, kid kid who. Uh, yeah, died, but he he was amazing, and he he was totally unathletic. The kid was soft. He came to the lake, and there would just be a rope swing, and all the guys were going off, and he couldn't. He wasn't strong enough to hold on. He grabbed on and immediately. That he jumped out, he would slide off. He tried to water ski, would never give up, but couldn't hold on to the the bar because he wasn't strong enough and stuff. But but the brain, mm-hmm. oh my God, the competitive spirit. That kid became one of the best players in high school history, and but it, you know he never got to finish even his grade twelve year. But um, you know a quick story about competitiveness from him. Mm-hmm. So he he played in our tournament in his grade eleven year, and uh, in the I think it was a tournament final. I'm not sure. And uh, halftime we're way up, and this is the putsy Tate time, and so 
Joey DeWitt, maybe the greatest defender in BC history, is is on, is on Akron, and we're good friends. He's played on the provincial team. I coached provincial team one year, and Akron was on it with those guys, and um, so he knew them all. And at halftime, we were way up. So in the second half, I took Joey off off of him, and Akron, who I was close with because he came to all our open gyms and had played for me. After we shook hands at the end of the game, as we went down the line, I said, congratulations, you know, great game. He scored 36 points or something. And he started off on me. Don't you ever effing take the best player in the province off of me again. That's insulting. I got those points. I don't give a damn about those points. I wanted to play against Joey. And, oh, and like, holy cow. Mm. And then the next year, he's he's MVP of our tournament. He's a dominant player in, in the province. And then... Went away on Christmas vacation and never came home. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Yeah, but he was—he wasn't gifted. Just was mental. Yeah, he was—he was—he was something else. Love it. Any last reflections before we let you go? Phenomenal episode. So much great, you know, content here. Well, I say I appreciate what you do and always respect it. I love the way you played. I hated that you beat us, <laughs> but I love the way you played and uh, and all and all that. And, and obviously, who you are, and I can tell by the way you talk about your your family life that you're, you're completely devoted to that too. So good, that's good stuff and that's inspirational stuff. And so I think that it, this, you're the kind of person we need and the kind of program we need to be carrying this game on. And I hope to get back to the level where we can, we can compete at the high level too. And we will at, at Thompson, but I know that you will always at, at uh, Thomas Moore because you're just, you do the right things and, and good things happen. Kids are good everywhere. Yeah. They've got the talent. It's just, it's providing that opportunity and, uh, and it can happen anywhere. Mm. And it will for you. I know it will. It is. Appreciate that, Coach. Um, wholeheartedly appreciate that. And then appreciate who you are and what you've done for the game and that you're still doing it. So um, can't wait to bump into you in a gym and we can shake hands and have a hug and actually compete against each other because I miss that stuff too. And um, you mean a lot to so many. And I know that um, a lot of people have requested to get you on. And we were thrilled that we were able to, to have this night with you. And um, this will be a great episode for so many. Um, and your legacy will last forever. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, Corbin, for helping to set that up. And we needed your technical <laughs> expertise, I guess we'll call it. It wasn't quite as expert as we hoped in the beginning. <laughs> bang, bang. But there's a young guy that's trying to go, trying to do great things, and good things are going to happen for you too. So, and I'm looking for an assistant coach at David Thompson. Oh, Anybody out there that needs wants to coach, whoa, I would like forget. one. So, Corb, you know, I don't like the way you're treated by some don't people at St. Thomas like More. So think about wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So good. <laughs> But I am looking for a coach, so if anybody out there is interested, let there me know. There we go. Oh. Hit us up. We can get you in contact with Coach. Amazing episode. Like and subscribe. Thanks to our sponsors. 56 in the books. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>